0: Hi, welcome to today's agent podcast. I'm Ted Langstaff. I'm Andrew Willack. And today we uh we're here to talk to you not just about real estate, but we're here to talk to a giant of real estate. Yeah, we have Marvin Alexander, who's uh the OP of Keller Williams Integrity, which is obviously where Ted and I uh, reside our businesses. And uh um Marvin has been in real estate for over 30 years. He's consistently received national and international recognition and awards as one of North America's top realtors. In 2011, Marvin was a finalist for Business Person of the Year. And at the time, he was also the OP of Keller Williams Realty Centers, uh, which was a finalist for Organization of the Year. Um, He has been um, the number one realtor, correct me if I'm wrong, Marvin, uh, for Keller Williams internationally, and uh, and, um, has a, a wealth of things to um share and we want to hear kind of your rags to riches story marvin and i understand that you have some humbler beginnings and that you're very self-made and we're hoping to learn through you and your experiences and 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 uh kind of go through the what we call the career visioning process that uh keller williams teaches whenever we're hiring someone it's the stage kind of the third step of our our hiring model is called the life story which is basically a professional autobiography. And we've tried to dig deep into hear what uh, lessons you've learned throughout your life and model both the career visioning process and learn from, from your life story. Marvin, are you up for that? I think so.
1: <laughs> yes, and thank you so much uh, for having me uh, here today. And I think that you know what I'm hoping to achieve Uh, by participating today is really it's not about me. However, uh, as you mentioned, there have been some really um, interesting learning opportunities along the way that I'm hoping when people kind of hear how things started and, and where they are today, that they'll take something from that for themselves. So I'd like to stress, I really, I mean, I know it's a life story, so I guess in some ways it is about me, but the real moments are about I think things along the way that would resonate with someone out there. And if I can help others to aspire to do what they want to do as
0: a result of today, uh, I would be thrilled if that was the end result. So. Um, well, we really appreciate you doing this. I mean, um, you, um, you haven't, you've been reluctant to um, talk about yourself, but uh, I appreciate that uh, you're willing to share for the benefit of others. Right. Cause that's what this is. About. Well, thank you so much. Sure. So, Here we go. So the career visioning process, basically um, what what we're doing is we're looking to write your professional autobiography and and we want to do this together. Um, Normally, if I was doing this with someone, I would have a a flip chart in front of them and um, we want to kind of stop from either the time in school or a a big moment in your life and moving forward, kind of like your resume, but we're going to try to go deeper than that. Um, We're going to try to keep it in chronological order and um, we're going to ask you lots of questions about like what did you learn and can we dig deeper what were the highs what were the disappointments as we go through kind of those major major happenings um so let's start with the first event uh you know where do you want where do you want to start where did you finish your education or maybe even a time before that it was which were you yeah
1: okay so it's interesting because i'm normally the person on the other side of the question so uh it's kind of cool that it switched around
0: well, it is well, fun. I mean, you did yeah. this with me, right? So now I get yeah. <laughs> to be enjoying this quite a bit.
1: So that's good. Okay. Um, I think that what I would say is in order to really, what's wonderful about this process is in order to really know someone, work with them, better communicate with them, hire them. Um, you do need to understand who they are. Right. And so I think it's a really, I think it's the most important process of the, of hiring and uh, of working with one another uh, so here's my story. Um, uh, my parents are both Jamaican, uh, came to Canada. Um, and I'm not going back to the day I was born in the Andrew, but uh, I was born here, although we did reside in Jamaica for a while until I was about five and then we came back. Uh, I grew up in a very tough area of Toronto. So for those people listening from the Toronto area, they would know it, it's still very tough. Uh, it's called Flemingdon Park and um, You know, I guess when you're in the middle of something like that, you don't really know any different. You know, what I mean, like when you don't have much, you don't realize maybe what's out there and I guess you kind of always know there's there's more there's you know, you see things on TV and we had, by the way, a black and white TV with the tubes yet to hit on the side of the TV to make it work. But you see things on TV and it makes you wonder, is it really TV land or is is it is it real? Is it possible? So anyhow, um, uh, I grew up in a very small uh, uh, two-bedroom apartment. Lots of gangs, lots of fighting. Uh, I actually became a, a competitive fighter as a result of growing up in that area. Um, and uh, I put myself through university. And you know, I I really just wanted to aspire to be a better person in terms of you know the way I conducted myself and i just wanted more out of life i think so i always had an inner an inner fire an inner desire to um to self-improve i think that that would be a fair statement um
0: i uh, in ottawa right
1: i went to university of ottawa yeah i went to york university first and then i went to the university of ottawa after that actually kind of funny segue i i didn't speak french i i um, moved to Orleans of all places, which is predominantly French and had to figure out a way to do that as I bartended going to university. So it was quite a, an interesting ride. Um, I have three kids, uh, uh, had the kids very young, uh, you study in university, uh, business took business administration and, uh, I was going to be a lawyer actually. And then I didn't about face because, quite frankly, I just needed to make money. And I knew that um, anything that was sales-based, uh, I seemed to be pretty good at and gravitated towards. Like, throughout school, um, you know, I, I took a telemarketing job for a company called Grolier. When I was 15, I said I was 16, which is probably not a great thing to do, but that's what I did. and. Um, sold encyclopedia sets over the phone on what was used to be called a Watts line. So we would call the different time zones at what were acceptable times for them at the time we were calling. And uh, in a matter of a month or two, I was the top salesperson for the company selling 40 encyclopedia sets a day. So in a four hour shift. So it was pretty cool first experience with sales and I kind of flirted in and out of that um, as I was going through school. But um, yeah, I had three kids. Uh, and when they were aged 12 9 and 7 and i was um in real estate at that time uh, 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 my ex-wife left me with the three kids and i was there to raise them by myself and that was probably the lowest of all the lows uh, because uh, it was a very um, difficult situation i basically gave up everything to have the kids and we were living actually in a trailer uh, around an hour and 45 minutes away uh, from where I was selling real estate. And I, I'm going to kind of bounce around the story a little bit, but I'm just give me an overview and then I'll tell you how I got into real estate. Because I think that's yeah, what you we know. Go. I was about yeah. to, try to
0: stop you and pull you. Yeah, back. I,
1: don't, no, I know you want to know that. Um, and what was really interesting at that moment uh, uh, was that the it was a different kind of low for me because it was a, a low that involved kids didn't just involve myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I knew that I had to go from living in this trailer, which was the only thing I had. Um, and I remember I had a $289 a month payment, which at the time seemed huge under the circumstances and no money. And I had, and I was basically, you know, um, starting all over again in every regard.
0: Now, uh, but anyway. in a point in reference um, you, were you at, were you the one of the top individual agents at Remax already at this point, or were you at Royal Page?
1: Yeah, I probably muddled up the timeline a little bit. So let me, let me back up we a bit. definitely muddled up the timeline, just for the record, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the start over moment or we should start over. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let me, okay, so let me explain to you how I got into real estate. So, okay. Sounds good. uh, at the time, we were expecting our second child, who's now third, thirty, almost thirty-one years old. Right. So we were no. She was just born. She was an infant, and I knew I needed to make more money, um, but I what didn't know you
0: how. Doing, what would you have
1: been doing prior to real estate? Yeah, but I really screwed up this timeline. Now that now that you say it, <laughs> I'm no. sorry because I kind of jumped ahead a little bit.
0: Uh, okay, it's like twelve years. It's okay. Let's uh. Let's... <laughs> what did you do coming out of university? And were there any highs or lows in university?
1: Yeah, um, I'm just wondering. If we should start this whole thing all over again, quite I frankly. So. Because... I don't. I don't think so. Really? Well, yeah. Well, I don't want to confuse people on the way, and I'd like to give a better timeline. I guess I went into the personal part of it more than the business part of it, and maybe, maybe that's a strength or maybe that's a weakness. I don't know. Um, Okay. So let's back up to the business timeline because people got an idea of hardship now. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, after university, I uh, started actually designing telemarketing operations for companies because of that experience doing telemarketing as a kid. And, um, uh, I, I realized, um, after that, that I needed a better job. So then I was, uh, a manager, um, um, uh, for the transit commission in
0: Toronto, I did that for uh, a few years. Transit and commission, Is like an advanced commission company or something like that for real. Estate? No, 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 for the transit commission for okay. for okay. Toronto Transit. Yeah, so
1: it was it was a salaried position and it paid quite well. Um, however, I knew that wasn't for me. You know, that, that's just not what I was meant to do. But I was trying to make ends meet, young family. So then, uh, I realized, okay, um, I need to move out of downtown Toronto and get to a suburb where it's a bit more affordable. So this is, I guess, where the real estate story kicks in. And for the people that have been listening, I do apologize if it took a while to get here. So what happened was, uh, I tried to sell my house myself and, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny story because the story has been published in some magazines and things in the past. And I lived at Pharmacy in Lawrence, which is two major streets in Toronto. And I was the second house in from the intersection. So it was very visible from a very busy intersection. And at that time, it wasn't like now. I mean, professional real estate signs and feature sheets that were all printed, so that just wasn't the way it was. So there was a company called Pear Tree at the time. And what they did is they helped people try to sell their house themselves. So I got a professional sign, uh, 10 feature sheets, which were literally take a picture, develop the picture, glue stick it on the feature sheet, right, Um, and two open house signs. And I open house that house for months, could not sell it. Then, uh, uh, yeah, it was a Remax agent. He happened to list the property across the street uh, and he sold it in a matter of, I don't know, a week or two. And I was really bummed because I thought people would go and see that house And by virtue of that, come and see mine, but it didn't happen. And then uh, he listed the house down the street and it sold in a matter of a few days and nobody came to my house then either. And then of all things, about a month later, he listed the house next door and I had been in that house and I knew that my house was a better deal, a better price. I thought for sure people are going to come. I had balloons outside. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) nothing happened guys. Honestly, no sale. So I tapped out, uh, I listed my house, uh, with this guy and he referred me to a Remax agent, uh, in Newmarket, Ontario. So that's around, uh, 45 minutes or so north of Toronto. And at that time, population was around 30,000 people. And, uh, by comparison, now it's around 90,000. So it's, it's tripled. So I met a very nice lady. She drove me around, couldn't find a house. Um, Uh, A new home development came up. I asked her permission to buy new. She was very good about it. I bought a new house. So now it's a a few months later. I'm in the new house. I had abs back then. It was around 10 at night and I was out with no shirt on, looking up at the stars, thinking, what am I going to do? I'm commuting now down to Toronto. I'm not making enough money. Got two kids. What am I going to do? And this lady, her name was Linda Mayer. Uh, She came driving down the street uh, with her husband. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm just kind of looking up at the stars and thinking. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, believe it or not, I thought I'd take a drive to see if I'd see you outside. It's 10 o'clock at night, you know? Anyhow, she said, I just took a job as the manager of Coldwell Banker. And uh, I really enjoyed our time together out in the car and I was showing you homes. I think you'd be an excellent realtor. Uh, Would you consider getting your real estate license? I was like, look, Linda, you've got the wrong guy. I tried to sell my house for a total of six months on my own. I couldn't sell it. I'm not the guy for this business, right? Thank you, but no. And she said, No, I, I'll show you the ropes, get your license. So I took the classes and they were college classes at the time. Um, got my license, showed up all excited at Coldwell Banker, walked in to see her. And the day I walked in to, to, to meet what was going to be my mentor. She slammed her office door on me, shut the blinds, she had just been fired. So now the only person I knew in this town of 30,000 people who was supposed to show me what to do was gone. Anyway, uh, it was a very difficult time to start in real estate, 1992. Uh, for those that have been in the business a while or for those of you that want to look it up, it was like probably the worst that we've seen in 30 years. Probably. Anyway, that's
0: when I chose to start. I'm sorry? I have a questions for you. Sure. Uh, Oh, um, how'd you quit your other job? That's a great
1: question. I had, uh, I was nervous about quitting. So my very first two months when I was a Coldwell banker, I did not. Okay. And incidentally, I was the salesperson of the month, both months. Okay. Yeah. So then Linda called me, she went back to Remax where she was when I initially met her and said, look, you're a salesperson of the month, you need to be someplace that's going to challenge you more. And, you know, I'll be here to help you and all that sort of thing. So I went to Remax and they said, you got to quit your job. And I was. I think Linda was a good recruiter. I think. Bank Linda was a very good recruiter. Yeah, she was good. So I did. I, I quit my job. Uh, and that, of course, now I've gone. From, and my mom, you know, was alive at the time. And she was devastated that I left this, left this relatively good, paying job benefits for a commission job uh, in all things in, in real estate. But it, 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 you know, it seemed like something that I should explore. I wasn't really sure, quite frankly, but mm-hmm. I just knew that um, I could do better. And I had a little taste of it in those first two months, right? Mm-hmm. So I uh, I went to Remax. Uh, I did quite well there. Uh, in my first year, I did 32 transactions, and um, I was rookie of the year. And then by my second year, I was the top individual uh, at that office. Now, that and then, was the office with Craig Proctor in it as well. Yeah, Craig was the top team, and 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 then and, and then that's I was the top individual by that time. And then uh, five years later. Uh, in 1997, I was uh, recruited to Royal
0: LePage. Okay, Can I, ask and I you, was there
1: for, for 12 years.
0: At the beginning of your career, like you had 32 transactions at the beginning. Where did those transactions come from, and and like like how did you have that much success, being a guy who from a guy who couldn't sell anything in his own home for <laughs> that long to all of a sudden doing 32 transactions? That's a great question. So you know. They say that uh,
1: necessity is the mother of invention, right? So yeah. now I've got kids. I've got no money uh, I'm in a house that I bought for one ninety nine, which might as well have been $9 million. Cause I didn't really have a way to pay for that either. Um, so the first thing I did and everybody, by the way, these veterans in real estate, they were like, Oh, the market's crap. They're all playing cards, hanging out. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. So I, remember this is a long time ago so it's not like now it's not internet driven so i got the newspaper and i um i called up for sale by owners and uh you know the the interesting thing about this i'm doing this with one pair of shoes like i don't want to go into a whole rags to riches poor me thing but i'm just letting you know i mean i when i'm doing these beginnings in real estate i had one pair of shoes with a hole the size of a softball on the bottom of them with cardboard in them right And Andrew, uh, Ted, I had this car that it had a carburetor still. It was an older car. And to start it, I had to take the cover off the car, like the carburetor, the filter, and use pliers and a screwdriver to hold the carb open to start the car. So whenever I would go on a listing appointment, I'd have to park like around the corner so they didn't see me pop the hood (laughs) to to open the car. And whenever I had buyers, because we used to always take them in our cars then, I used to have to leave the car running the whole time, even when we went in the houses. And I would tell them, oh, you know, it's hot. I want to keep the car nice and cool for you. Or, oh, it's cold out. I want to keep the car nice and warm (laughs) for you in the wintertime. That's what I had to do, right? (laughs) Oh, it was what a time. Anyway, so for sale by owners. The weather was perfect, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) So, wow. That's actually, you know, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Anyway, um, yeah. So for sale by owners, I, I started doing that. And um, then I realized one of the things that um, I was uh, naturally, I think that um, if I could say so, is connecting people with one another. And I felt by by doing that, um, by virtue of that, they would maybe refer me. So as I said, I didn't really know anybody. So I actually started going around to businesses and get, getting to meet people and, um, you know, when I found someone who I thought was a great mechanic and I found someone else who I thought was, you know, um, some other service that was really good or a great restaurant or whatever, I would actually introduce them to one another. And I was doing a lot of that. Uh, I spent a lot of time um, uh, calling people. And what, the other thing I did too is I I realized that I'm not, I am not a cold caller. So I felt that what I had to do is have a purpose for contacting as many people as I could every day. So um, I came up with this idea very early on about the deal of the week and I would search M L. Well, at the time it was MLS books, but I would look for what I thought was the deal of the week. And I would just call anybody I knew about this deal of the week, even though it wasn't my listing, because you usually start off with more buyers than listings. So I did a lot of that. So it was really, quite frankly, it was for sale by owners at the very beginning. Uh, they were a lot more prominent then. Um, uh, I went to lot, I went to every open house I could so I could learn the market. Um, I offered to do as many open houses as anybody would let me do and I was able to pick up buyers and other listings from that. Um, whenever those listings sold I actually went door to door and just said hey I'm just coming to let you know I just sold your neighbor's home uh, this is what it sold for it's a great neighborhood I'd love to help you if you're looking at buying or selling in the future, right? And uh and that was it. And I'll tell you, I think I literally think I outworked everybody I knew. I mean I I to say I worked twelve hours a day or more, uh seven days a week for the first few years might
0: even be an understatement. You were just trying to get change diapers though Yeah it was great. No
1: diaper changing <laughs> really I mean that was a good part I guess. <laughs> I was on the road a lot. I mean, that's what I did. And and um, I didn't really have much of a choice. And I will tell you that, um, you know, early they said the key, and I think it's still probably the key, the goal is to shoot for two deals a month at a minimum. And it doesn't matter what market you're in. I mean, that's a, a beautiful living. And uh, I remember the first time somebody said, you know, you should aspire to make a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that, that number didn't even seem comprehensible to me. But um, that's how, that's how I started. That's. If
0: that's anybody cool. ever takes any of your training now, um, especially, you know, like a new agent training, basically all you do is it's a game of how many, how many real estate conversations can you have, have a day? And that's, that's how it translates. And that sounds exactly what you were doing at the very beginning.
1: Yeah, that is, so that's what it continues to
0: Conversations a day. That's yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I tell people that I, I believe, after years of doing that, that the key number is 20. So that you need uh, at least 20 meaningful conversations a day about real estate. And it's really not that difficult to do. You know, I, 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 funny side story, I guess, and I hope I'm not talking too much, but fast forward years later, I was flying to Austin, Texas um, with uh, someone who was a team leader for me in my Toronto office at the time, her name was Darlene. And we were talking, I said, you know, I just don't see why realtors just can't talk to people about real estate. I said, I believe you could drop me in the middle of any city, as long as they speak English and I could sell real estate. She goes, it's not that easy. I said, well, let me show you. So I went in line in the line while we're waiting to go through security. I got three listing appointments in line and I gave (laughs) them away to everybody when we landed in Austin. So it was really interesting to see, right. Um, yeah. that, how that was. Anyway, enough about that. So uh, that's, how, that's how I, I got in uh, to real estate. And that's how I was able to, yeah, do those 32 transactions in the first year. It was really just about talking to a lot of people. And of course, I didn't really have the same skill set, you know, I was developing that along the way. Um, but it was a lot of conversations with people and connecting people in totally different industries with one another. And by virtue of that, they often referred me. So that's what I did.
0: Okay, So um, so you're at RE-MAX, uh, we're kind of five years in, top mm-hmm. individual, Right. pick it up from there. Yeah,
1: so uh, at that time, Rural Page was in last position in our community. They had 20-odd realtors, and uh, they had been speaking to me about joining, and I really wasn't that interested. And they eventually made me an offer I felt they couldn't refuse, so I went, and um I helped uh, build that office up. I I, I met with agents considering to come. I guess I gave them some uh, validity. Uh, uh, So I was, you know, the day I joined, I was the top
0: realtor there. And then uh, when you say, uh, let me, when you were, would you have been the top realtor in Newmarket at that time? Yes. Individual. Yeah. Individual, right? That wasn't kind of. Well, for sure
1: it would have been still Craig Proctor's team and maybe two other larger teams, I think would have been ahead of me, but as an individual, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then, you know, at at that point is when I hired my first assistant. So five years in, which quite frankly, if I could give people listening to today, any advice, I would say I would hire an assistant as soon as possible. And as long as you hire correctly with the right parameters, I think um, it's it's almost risk-free for. That's not really the right terminology, but I mean, if you do it correctly, and there's a three-month probationary period, and you're f- upfront with the person saying that you're you're making a three-month commitment, and you know at the end of the three months, if everything goes well, we're gonna we're gonna go into a long-term commitment. I, I don't think you have to worry about looking at a year's salary. Um, you, you have to look at a three-month commitment to start. Anyhow, uh, that was a turning point for me.
0: I'd like to do a quick plug. If anybody would like to learn the system for having your goals for the first 30, <laughs> 60 and 90 days in the probationary and the hiring process, um, feel free to give me a ring and I'll direct you to the KWS Leverage Series course that can help you do that very well. Sorry, that's my plug. Uh, no, but you know what? <laughs> I think that's,
1: you actually made a really good point because the, most people have no idea how to hire. Right. And, um, I guess maybe a bit of a selfish plug, but I do think that Keller Williams has really done a wonderful job of giving us systems and tools and models to make sure that we make a great hire because a bad hire can be expensive and costly. Right. If well, they,
0: how did you do with your first hire?
1: Um, poorly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know what? She's a lovely
1: person and we're still friends, uh, today, I've only ever had three assistants in my whole career, and so uh, she, uh, her husband, she was quite um, wealthy and took the job just for something to do, Um, so that wasn't really the right framework for necessarily hiring her. Uh, Wonderful human being, like just lovely, so it just didn't work out. And then the assistant I had next, I had for almost 20, 20, yeah, 20 years. Kathy was with me and that was a whole different ballgame, right? Yeah. And then Lori's been with me now for, I think, four, yeah, four years. So I only ever had three assistants. I I, I tend to choose carefully now um, and uh, and and I put them through the exact same process that you are talking about. Yeah. Uh, at the time when I hired Kathy, I wasn't with Keller Williams, so I didn't really have this process. Uh, however, uh, she was working at another Royal Page office and we had interacted, so I had an idea of what she was all about. However, the process still would have been very beneficial
0: um, yeah.
1: in that hire. Yeah. So,
0: uh, yeah. So, um, I was your first assistant. I, so, I had first assistant, then uh-huh. I hired my second. I'm sorry? Just, I'm just trying to bring you back to the chronological order there where you were before I sent you on a tangent. Sorry about that.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. So, um, just, I should say too that by the time uh, I was in my fifth year, I was doing about 85 transactions a year on my own. And um, consistently did, uh, my goal was always a minimum of 10 deals a month with one assistant. And I achieved that very consistently. Um, I'd sometimes try had certain months where I'd shoot for 20, but
0: um, 10 deals a month with one assistant, I found uh, manageable. Do you remember any major uh, disappointments, any major setbacks from that time?
1: Uh, We're still talking business setbacks, right?
0: Uh,
1: Or overall? Overall. Well, I think this is why I kind of at the beginning, and I do apologize to everybody listening, I went on the I guess the personal tangent first, which isn't totally chronological, Um, but I guess this is kind of where that starts to kick in, where, you know, I didn't really have a a good work-life balance, I guess you could say. I mean, when I was home, I was definitely present, but I was always exhausted.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: um, I think that-
0: probably don't want to be talking when you get home.
1: Yeah, and that's the whole thing. The last thing you want to do is recapture everything you you know, you, you dealt with in a day when you get home after some of those days. However, you know, I I think the life lesson for me, and maybe I could share that with others would be that um, you do need a balance, right? You do need work-life balance as you build and you need buy-in from a partner that at home that understands that it's like opening any business. If you're starting out the first five years, you're building a new company, essentially. You're your company, but I would encourage, you know, communicating about it, getting buy-in, making it a team effort. I think that um, goes a long way. And that would be, so I would, my advice would be to get to an assistant as soon as possible and make sure that, you know, your goals, your visions, your plan, what you're looking to achieve is shared with your partner. It's a partner, uh, effort. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, so the hardships, I guess at that time were, yeah, you know, even though I was doing really well at that point, I was not doing so well in other areas, you know, of, of my life, I guess. And, um, and know the other thing is I didn't even know that I didn't see it that way, but mm-hmm. you know, there's different points of view, I guess, in any relationship. And that's how that was. And, and so, um, I guess, uh, on the flip side, I sold that 199 house and bought the biggest house in that subdivision at that time. And I had a pool and all the things I kind of dreamed of, you know. I had a car that I didn't have to start by opening <laughs> up the hood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was a whole different thing. And then um Out of curiosity, because I know you're a car guy. What was I am a car guy
1: now. Yeah, I have I have right. lots of cars. Uh, at that time I had a phenomenal Mercury Sable, my friend, with power windows and power locks. So nothing crazy. That's what I had. Um, and the reason I had that car is I got it like two years, roughly into my real estate career, maybe a year. And I had it like on a, on a four year lease. So, and then, after that I remember I was driving, I had a few infinities and then I thought that was a big step up. And then I went from infinity to, uh, Mercedes and Audis and all that other stuff that I, that I drive oh. pretty quickly. Yeah. So anyhow, um, what happened was, uh, 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 we moved to that house, a better house for sure. Um, and I had three kids at that time. And then that's when everything kind of fell apart on the personal side and it was very messy. Like it was not amicable at all. Um, and you know, uh, as it turned out, um, I was, I guess, the, the better caregiver, I, I guess, is the right term to use. I'm not trying to be insulting or anything, but anyways, I ended up with the kids by myself. And in order to make that happen, I had to give up everything. Uh, the house, which was sold, but the proceeds went there. I paid spousal support. I paid child support, even though I had the kids. And all I had was this, back to the beginning of the story, this trailer. That was $289 a month and a pool table that did not fit in the trailer. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I was like, I don't know what to do here. So,
0: uh, when I first met you, um, on a mutual acquaintance, told me that that's when she met you as that Royal Page. You were the top agent, yet you were right back to having shoes with huge holes in the bottom and cardboard in the bottom of your shoes. And nobody understood why. And that was that was why yeah
1: and it wasn't a story i felt i i really wanted to share do you know what i mean and yeah. um so what happened though uh so now it was i guess it was the summer time and it wasn't so bad right community hour and 45 minutes with the kids and all that stuff um however i had a friend of mine and she was building a house and she was building me a basement apartment in the house for me and the kids but as new construction goes it got delayed and So now we're into colder months like October and November where this was a heated trailer, mind you, but, you know, water lines, trying to keep them from freezing and stuff like that, commuting until I could get into that basement apartment. So uh, I think the point of all this is that year was, it was in 2000. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, I guess the last 21 years, you know, is really when I started uh, rebuilding and, and building real wealth and uh, looking at business a whole different way. Um, so I guess the first 10 years were a little tougher and the last 20 have been pretty, pretty awesome. So uh, I saw an opportunity. I knew that I wanted to open my own company. I was going to open an independent company in 2008. Um, I heard a little bit about Keller Williams and uh, I started investigating the company.
0: So in between 2000, on um, the year of the trailer, yeah. and the year of the basement apartment, to 2008, yes. Um, what what was that like? Just business building, just consistent numbers, consistent success. When did you start working with the developers? Like what what happened, and what were the highs and lows of that time?
1: Okay, so I'm going to bounce a little bit again. So. Um, and I know people are more interested in the business aspect, so I'm sorry about the life I aspect.
0: I so. I think it's, it's about the whole,
1: the whole Yeah, I, th- I
0: think the, the life aspect is just as uh, important.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I know that, I guess the, the lesson of it all, because I don't want it to be really about about me, is that everyone has their stuff, you know? And when I, I always say we tend to judge people's outsides uh, against our insides, meaning that we know what's going on internally in our life, And we look at the exterior of what other people seem to be living and we have no idea what they're going through at home. Right? So maybe this would be helpful for some people that way. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, I should, so in two, in 2000, um, a buddy of mine invited me to go to Newfoundland to go golfing. Uh, he was the president of Appleton Rum. We grew up together in that same tough neighborhood. And I said, absolutely not. I've got three kids. I can't go anywhere. Um, you know, uh, I said, he said, well, I've already spoken to your mom. i just going to watch the kids. Uh, I'm paying for the whole trip. You're coming. So I'd never been to Newfoundland. I got there, and uh, the first night we went out, I met my wife, who? Um, uh, in a bar, <laughs> we met in a bar in Newfoundland. Uh, she's an amazing woman. Uh, she'd never been married, and uh, teacher now retired, and um, started that relationship in 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 twenty in uh, in two thousand. And uh, we had a long distance relationship, flying back and forth for about a year, um, and then she had a house there, so we rented out her house so we could test things out, and she. She moved to Newmarket and, um, in the
0: basement apartment. I'm assuming no, actually, yes.
1: Okay. Uh, in the basement apartment, two bedroom basement apartment, uh, for a few months. And, but I was able to, um, buy. I
0: always knew she was a saint, but now I really, know
1: she. <laughs> yeah, she really is. And then, um, uh, but then I bought a significant house. So there's a jump there. So let me back up now to your earlier question. So uh, what helped me get to 85 transactions on my own was I realized that there were other aspects of real estate. I'm going right back now to about year three or four. Okay. uh, Of my career. And that was that it seemed that everybody, uh, the way I kind of look at it is it's like the pistons of of a car's engine. And most realtors uh, fire hot on one cylinder, which is residential resale. But there's so many other aspects of of real estate that need to be explored. So um, I wanted to go into land development, and I wanted to learn about new construction. So I found a small builder, um, and uh, you know, I, I basically pleaded my case about. Uh, wanting to learn about construction. I went to the construction site every day and learned about how the houses were built and all the aspects of construction. And he was a very small builder. So we started off doing one house together. Uh, That turned to three, three turned to five, and it got to like subdivisions of 25 or 30 homes. Um, And then he asked me to go find him land. So I had to learn... Uh, land development. And uh, through the process of bringing him parcels and him explaining to me why they weren't good or what was good, I started to learn land development. And um, uh, I guess my big breaks were that I did some uh, land deals. Um, I sold, so far, I guess to date, I've sold around $350 million in land. And a lot of that was double-ended. So it's a pretty significant um, uh, number. But anyway, I uh, learned land development, and then I started getting into larger uh, builders. So uh, I have a large builder, um, one of the largest in Toronto. I do their low-rise sites for them. Um, and I have a mid-sized builder, um, So and I do their all of their sites for them. And I no longer have the small builder, but he's still a good friend. Um, in fact, when I was going through my tough time, before um, I had the kids all the time on my own, which was very quick into the separation, I was living in his basement. Um, and then that went to the trailer when I had the kids and then the rest of the story, you know. So um, when Rhonda uh, moved here in 2020, um, yeah, we bought a, a really nice home. And then uh, uh, a few years after that, I decided, okay, I wanna go into my own, I wanna do my own thing. Like I want my own my own company. and. Uh, through builder sales and land development and my clientele, I was doing uh, my peak years around 350 transactions, all with one assistant um, I had people working at new home sites and they got paid on a referral basis. Uh, and that uh, that's that's how the numbers worked.
0: But you've never, you've always had an assistant and really only ever one partner, is, is that right? Like you've never really had a team yourself. I've
1: never really had a partner. Um, okay. So, I've had uh, one agent that he worked with me for about 10 years. Uh, he's now uh, with another friend of mine on, on, on his team, uh, but I was referring him a lot of business. So it was like, well, why don't you just come and work on, if you wanted to call it the teamwork with me um, and uh, you can deal with all, a lot, you know, a lot of the stuff I just can't keep up with, right? Cause I was building out Keller Williams in, in Newmarket. And then shortly after that uh, Aurora and. Georgina and all the other locations, and then Ottawa uh, almost in tandem.
0: So between... Yeah, why did you do it that way instead of, instead of, you know, doing the typical KW model of the buyer specialists and buyer agents and listing specialists and...
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, here's where I I often tell people when I'm teaching, um, as much as I love the KW model, I don't think it needs to be that rigid. In other words, it's not necessarily for everyone in terms of building out a big team. And you can be very comfortable and actually net as much or more money sometimes if you have sort of a hybrid of that model. The the main component of the Keller Williams model from my perspective is leverage. And that can come in the form of just one assistant or it can come in the form of a full team with multiple admins and, and buyer and listing reps. Or it could come in the form of something in between, which is what I chose to do, which is one assistant, um, and then a referral network of people that you work with all the time. And uh, it was great because I didn't feel an obligation to those people. Um, I didn't feel an obligation to provide them with leads. Um, All it really was for me was training them on new home sites and then helping them with deals I would refer to them. So it worked better for me. I felt that was better better for me, so yeah. Um, I don't know if I've jumped around a little bit too much, and I do apologize if I have. But that's that's kind of how it all how it all happened. In two thousand and eight, um, I left Royal Page on September the eleventh. Felt it was a significant day, and um, and I started Keller Williams. But I was researching joining the company and opening up well prior to then, from about two thousand and six.
0: before two years ago and um I'd love for you to say all the reasons why but maybe we'll just keep keep we'll skip over that just so this doesn't sound like a recruiting uh podcast as to why you chose KW. Um but uh what were some of the highs and lows of trying to open your own brokerage and what oh, did you learn? From that? Wow. I
1: think you're really talking to an idiot, quite frankly.
0: Um, (laughs) I did everything wrong.
1: I I, I don't know if people want to listen, but, and I don't blame them if they've already tuned out, but if you're still there, the one or two people that are listening um, here's what I would say to you. Uh, So, you know, when I, when I left Royal Page, I did not, this is a lesson for me. I didn't follow the model. I didn't really understand the model. And the Keller Williams model basically is also based on leverage. And the idea is that if you're going to open up a Keller Williams franchise, what you should do is, you know, go into business with some um, influential people from other companies that you've, you know, um, dealt with along the way in your career and have each of them help you build the company before you open it. So you'd maybe have someone from Sutton Group, Royal LePage, Remax, Coldwell Banker, what have you, that's joining your new endeavor, and they themselves would also have a few people that they would bring, and then you would open up. But I didn't do that. I actually left by myself with my assistant Kathy, and said, "Here I am on the new Keller Williams." And of course, I felt that all of my friends and all of these people that I that I knew and you know helped and all the the the, the the relationships that I made, all these people would come like the Pied Piper and nobody came. Uh, well, almost nobody. Um, uh, two really good friends from Roll Page did follow a few days later, uh, Gail and Michelle, and they're still with Keller Williams today. And I'm grateful for them doing that. But I, I got to tell you, um, that was awful. And I remember speaking with Glenn McQueenie about it, who's the OP of a few market centers for Canada, um, in Canada. And Glenn said, you know what, Marvin, when you started your real estate business, you probably thought you're going to get all this business from friends and family, right? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, how much did you get? He said, virtually none. He was right. You got to build it with new relationships. And then once you prove yourself, some of those other people will come. And I remember those words that he told me so long ago, as if it was today and that's exactly what happened so a mistake was not being properly leveraged um, and understanding the way to launch a new office so that was a, a another low but you know I always say you know don't judge me by my mistakes judge me by how I fix them so I just um, I persevered um, every brokerage in town at that time was doing what they could to Stop me from succeeding, and rightfully so. That's their job. Uh, became the biggest in a matter of a few years, six or seven years, by far. Uh, locally based there, um, uh, so between that those offices and Ottawa, built to almost uh, almost, I guess what close to five hundred realtors, um, in that in a short period of time, and really that's through pouring into people. Um, teaching, uh, trying to create the best environment possible. Um, I do think it's the best plan. I know it's not supposed to be an infomercial, but I do think it's the best plan. There's something in it for virtually everyone. Uh, it's also the best kept secret. So we have to work on that a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: So 2008, you you open it up, you have two people follow you um, and and you're, you know, basically a team of three, and you just start building relationships again, um, you know, did you hire an MCA, and uh, did you have staff, did you, you know, like, did you just start getting on the, the phone, like?
1: Yeah, I had, so I had uh, one person that I'd hired right away, um, okay. who was, yeah, what we call an MCA, market Center administrator, so like an inside kind of deal processor, excuse me, slash um, payables, receivables financier. Uh,
0: so fine. yeah, I did that right away. Um, having to run your real estate business and find the land and the developers and all that stuff at the same yeah, time.
1: Yeah, I was a water spider, you know, and I was really taking my real estate sales, which were robust, uh, keeping that afloat as I built it out and started off in an 8 by 10 office and kind of built it from there.
0: With you and Rhonda. Um, your kids are in their teens, not quite right. There's still... at that time, uh, not quite.
1: No, so uh, let me just see. Uh, so that's call it twelve years ago. No, they're they're older than that at that time. Uh, I got two. I had uh, two. I think in university and one last part of high school. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting how. Um, you know, even if you have, as you have successes in your career, there's moments where sometimes you're taking a few steps back to go a few steps forward. Mm -hmm. And those are the pivotal moments, you know, where you either wallow in what's going on, or you take that moment and propel yourself forward, right? So I've been saying about compartmentalization. And what I say about that is, you know, everybody can have a really terrible day, and you're allowed to leave work and have a pity party and do whatever you want to do, but you can't bring that day into the next day. And conversely, you can have a phenomenal day or you sell two or three places and get a listing and you're on an all time high, but the next day, that doesn't matter either. You can't rest on the laurels of the day before. So, you know, our industry is based on a lot of um, mental strength and um, you know, most people are very uh, passionate about real estate that are selling real estate. So compartmentalization is a skill that I think isn't gonna come so easily, but I think it's essential to succeed. So I just kept reminding myself of that and I downplayed the highs and I downplayed the lows too, and just worked really hard and and built it out through, like you said, relationships. Uh, people were watching to see if it was gonna be legitimate. Um, from the beginning, I named the company Plural Realty Centers, with the intention of building out exactly what my vision was. I had a vision board. I believe in that, by the way. Um, I always have had uh, every deal I ever write is on a board in front of me at all times. My goals in front of me at all times. It um, was no different. Building the building a brokerage is the same thing as building a real estate business. It's the exact same. It's the exact same. And then what was interesting, and we joke about it now. All of the people that I offered shares in the company at the beginning to come, not one of them took shit share, bought shares. Every single one of those people are there today with zero. Every single one. So sometimes, you know, opportunity comes your way. It seems, you, you, it's, yeah, you know, it's interesting how that all worked out. So, yeah. I don't know if I'm giving you what you're looking for, guys. In the interview, play, uh,
0: I'm concerned you are very exactly much what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a question for you. Whenever you were uh, building Keller Williams, was it a known uh, entity in New Market, or were were you bringing it there for the first time?
1: Yeah, most people thought we were selling paint. Sherman Williams, we got that a lot. <laughs>
0: Helen
1: Keller, all kind, and that was the brunt of every joke you can imagine. Right? Uh, nobody ever heard of the brand. And so um, I was the only uh, Keller Williams office north of Steeles Avenue, north of Toronto for 10 years. So nobody even knew uh, who the brand was. And that was a big part of it. They knew who I was, but not the brand. And I kept telling everybody, I had to say to them, look, you're the brand, you know? And and I had agents that joined at the beginning were very much, you know, this is so difficult. No one knows who we are. And what I loved about the brand was exactly that. It was new. It was fresh. It was different. Um, so it was a matter of perspective, I guess. And it just took some time to kind of really to break in and break that mold. But I was determined to do it. And we, and we
0: did. Once you broke that mold, you're able to define what it what it meant and, and all that stuff because there wasn't all the preconceived perceptions and notions and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and it didn't hurt to have, you know, I, I mean, I, I think I, I always maintained a pristine reputation in the business and with our colleagues, like I, I, I think that helped a lot. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, but you know, it's amazing, right? Because I uh, one of the things I did like in the, in the last 20 years, which we haven't spoken of is really wealth building was a big thing for me, owning multiple properties, commercial and residential. Um, uh, I think I, at, at the peak I had maybe 15, something like that. Um, I own a lot of commercial buildings still, still have a lot of, of residential properties, do mortgages, all of those things. And that's all in 20 years. Right.
0: With that, we'll call it a day. Tune in next week to today's agent to hear the second part of Marvin Alexander's story.